Well, it's great to be with you this morning. I see many familiar faces of people I know and then some people that I don't know. And for those of you who I haven't had the opportunity to meet yet, um, I just want to introduce myself. My name is Ian, and I want to clarify, though, I'm not the Ian who actually works here at Eagle Church. Um, I am the, e- the Ian who used to be on staff here at Eagle Church, or as one student affectionately called me, you're kind of like the old Ian now. Uh, so I am the old Ian. Um, I did have the privilege of serving here on the pastoral staff for eight years um, until 2014 when an unexpected opportunity came my way and Danielle and I started praying about that and sensed that God was redirecting our lives uh, to go serve at at a missions organization called Global Partners. Uh, They give global focus to the mission of the Wesleyan Church and so I'm now located over in Fishers, Indiana, um, serving at the Wesleyan Church headquarters. But it's great to be able to be back with you this morning And um, a lot has happened since 2014 when my wife and I transitioned uh, from serving here at Eagle Church. For one, we had two kids. Uh, So I don't know what that's all about, but I got a a picture here. Um, This is my wife, Danielle, and uh, that's our daughter, Daphne. She's two now. Um, This picture is a couple months old. And our son, Boston, he's seven months uh, so our, our family life is filled with a lot of activity. With Daphne, it's like playing a game of Mad Gab, um, trying to understand what she's saying, because to her it makes sense. To us, we're still trying to figure out what the word means. And Boston is just learning how to crawl, and so that's a ton of fun, and we're preparing ourselves for him going mobile. But yeah, all that to say, uh, it's, a, it's a lot going on, but it, I'm so grateful to be able to be back here and share with you this morning. Let me get, begin just by asking a question. Have you ever made a plan that didn't quite work out? Have you ever had plans that didn't go according to plan? A few years ago, Danielle's mom came to visit and we, it was her birthday and we were gonna celebrate her birthday by taking her zip lining. So we decided to go down to Brown County, and we we're going to go on this zip lining tour. And uh, this tour had like five different zip lines that we were going on, and it was going to be a ton of fun. And it was a ton of fun. We were we were going through is going through each zip line, and we got to the fifth zip line, and all of a sudden I start feeling really nauseous, and being up on a platform in a tree. Crowded next to a bunch of people is a bad place to feel nauseous. And so Danielle and her mom are looking at me, and they're like, Ian, are you all right? It's like, no, I just want to lay down. I don't know if I can make it through this. But I, I managed to muster up the energy, and I kind of got pulled along on the last zip line, made it down, slumped my way into the car. And the problem was our next destination was this Amish restaurant where we were going to eat fried chicken. So as you can imagine, that didn't sound very appetizing to me, but we start heading there anyways, and as we're driving, it becomes apparent to me, I have to stop moving. Like, this is not helping my nausea. (laughs) So I tell Danielle, I'm like, hey, you got to just pull over. I need to just lay down somewhere. You guys can go ahead and go eat the fried chicken. I'm not really interested. (laughs) So... They, they pull over in front of this library in Brown County. And so if you've ever been there, I was, this is where I was. I was at this library, and there's kind of this grassy field here. here. And I take my blanket, and I kind of slither out of the car and plop down and lay down on the grass there in the, on the library. And 
all of a sudden I got this big whiff of freshly cut grass. And that did not help. So the next thing I know, I'm slumped over, puking my guts out on the Brown County Library lawn. And in that moment, I'm thinking, this is not how this day is supposed to go. This is not what I planned. And I look up, and for the first time, I notice that probably about 20 feet away from me is this young high school couple who decided to have a romantic picnic out on the lawn. (laughs) And I looked at the guy's face, and I could tell he's thinking, this is not what I had planned. (laughs) Whatever romantic mood he was setting, I just killed it. I puked all over it. And so I thought, well, I probably better at least move away from these people. I mean, I don't want an audience, and they probably don't want to watch me here. And this funny thing happened. I stood up, and I was like, man, I feel great. This is awesome. So I hopped back in the car, and we went and ate fried chicken. It was perfect. But that day didn't go according to plan. We all make plans. We have wedding plans, vacation plans, business plans, retirement plans. Some of you today have lunch plans. For some of you, I ruined your lunch plans. (laughs) But we all have plans. And sometimes it doesn't quite go according to plan. How many of you are, have the dysfunction of over planning? Anyone? It's okay, you can raise your hand. My name is Ian, I'm a recovering over planner. (laughs) We like to plan. I think part of the reason we like to plan because it helps assure us of the future. In fact, culturally, planning is seen as a value. Person who is forward thinking is someone who we see as competent or we look up to. We even use the expression, the man with the plan is the man with the power. So we see planning as a positive thing. It helps reassure us of of what's going to happen. But it doesn't take long You don't have to live much life before you realize that things don't always go according to plan. Sometimes you find yourself puking your guts out at the Brown County Library. And you say to yourself, this isn't how it was supposed to happen. Or you say to yourself, why is this happening? This is not what I had planned. And to this day, I don't know why I got sick. But you ever wonder, what does God think of all of our planning? We all do it to some degree or another. What does God think of all of our planning? If God was going to sit in that um, strategic planning meeting that you have at work coming up, what would he say as you sit around the table and and plan out what you're gonna be doing at work? Or if God was your financial advisor, what would he say as you think through your retirement plans? Or if God was your counselor, what would he say about the plans that you have for that relationship? What does God think of all of our planning? How would God speak into the plans that we make? This morning, as we look at James chapter four, I think he has some insightful words for us on this very important point, this idea of making plans. Because making plans typically precedes almost all the activity of our lives. We set out in our minds to say, I want to accomplish this, I want to do this, I want to see that happen. And we make these plans to do all of these different things. 
And I think James has some insightful words to speak into what does God think of how we plan, how we talk about our plans, and what kinds of plans we should make. So if you have your Bibles, I want you to go ahead and turn to James 4.13. James 4.13, or if you have a Bible app, you can flip there. James 4.13, or if you don't have that or you don't really want to turn anywhere, you can look on your note sheet or on the screen. It'll be up there. But before we jump in, let me give you kind of the backdrop of the book of James and who James is. James is actually Jesus' brother. Some of you are like, I didn't know Jesus had siblings. Yeah, Jesus had siblings. They were all born the old-fashioned way to Mary and Joseph. And it is believed that James is the second in line. So he would have been second oldest. He'd have been the, the firstborn after Jesus. Now, how many of you have an older sibling? Just raise your hand. All right, a lot of you have older siblings. Imagine Jesus being your older brother. I mean... I can hear James going to his mom, saying, Mom, why am I in trouble again? Jesus never gets in trouble. (laughs) Well, he is divine, son. But why do you treat him like he never does anything wrong? Well, he's perfect. (laughs) That would be a really complicated situation to have Jesus as your older brother. And that's probably why James actually didn't believe that Jesus was who he said he was until after he rose from the dead and James was one of the people that Jesus appeared to after he rose from the dead. And James believes that Jesus is who he says he is. Now think about that for a second. No younger brother wants to give their older brother credit for anything. It is a minor miracle that James said, Okay, yeah, I mean, I guess you're, you're God. You're the son of God. You're the Messiah. You're the savior of the world. That's what happened for James. That's an amazing testimony in and of itself. And so James, he ends up becoming a prominent leader in the early church. In Acts 15, we see him as one of the key leaders in the council at Jerusalem. And so he was one of the leaders leading uh, this, the early church movement. And James, in this book... He's writing in general to kind of a a general group of Christians. It's not specific to any one congregation. It's kind of like a mini sermon that applies to a lot of Christians. However, the style of the writing seems to fit more of the Jewish Christians. In other words, the style of this mini sermon that he writes, this letter that is passed around to all of these early church congregations, sounds a lot like wisdom literature in the Old Testament, like the book of Proverbs. Which is helpful to know because James is writing something that's very practical. It's intended to be something that you can easily apply to your life. In fact, listen to what Eugene Peterson says about uh, what wisdom literature, what it means. He says this, Wisdom is not primarily knowing the truth, although it certainly includes that. It is skill in living. I love that. Skill in living. For what good is a truth if we don't know how to live it? What good is an intention if we can't sustain it? So wisdom, it's this idea of of having skill for living. It's not just knowing stuff, but it's knowing how to apply the stuff that you know. And that's how James writes this book. So when you read this, it's it's like wisdom literature. It's learning the skill of living. 
And to illustrate this point, there's a phrase that, that I, I heard, a, I don't know how long ago, but it, it's a phrase I love, kind of illustrating the difference between knowledge and wisdom, and it's this. Knowledge is knowing that a tomato is a fruit, but wisdom is knowing that you don't put tomatoes in fruit salad. If some of you have just learned that for the first time, there you go. It's very practical. There's a difference between knowledge and wisdom, and that's what James is about. It's about taking things that are very practical and applying them to your life. And a big theme in James' book is this whole concept of aligning our lives with God. So he talks about aligning your words and your actions with your faith. That they can't be kind of this separated thing. They need to all line up together. And that's a theme throughout. And he talks about that in a variety of different ways. So let's see what James has to say in this passage. This is James 4.13. Now listen, you who say today or tomorrow we will go and do this, go to this or that city, spend a year there, carry on business and make money. Why you do not even know what will happen tomorrow. What is your life? You are a mist that appears for a little while and then vanishes. Instead, you ought to say, if it's the Lord's will, we will live and do this or that. As it is, you boast in your arrogant schemes. All such boasting is evil. If anyone then knows the good they ought to do and doesn't do it, it is sin for them. So there are obviously these Christians who are saying, hey, we're gonna go to this city, we're gonna make X amount of money, and then we're gonna go do this or that. And James is saying, why are you boasting in your arrogant schemes? You're talking this evil talk. And we might listen to that and go, wow, James, I mean, that's kind of dramatic, isn't it? I mean, they're just talking about their, their business plans. They're just gonna go and make some money here and then go and do that. They're just making plans, right? And we can look at that and say, this seems kind of harsh. I mean, these people in our culture would be like, man, those guys are go-getters. They're confident. These are the kind of people we'd wanna hire. They've got a plan. They've got, they've got it figured out on how they're gonna continue to increase their profits, in fact, in our culture, we even kind of like it when people are a little bit arrogant. Or maybe we just call it confidence. That people will say they're gonna do something and then they can back it up. In fact, for those of you who are sports fans, if I say, um, who is the person who said, I am the greatest? Muhammad Ali. Muhammad Ali said, I am the greatest. And we kind of like it when athletes do that, especially when they back it up. And a lot of people think Muhammad Ali is the greatest boxer there ever was. And so culturally, it's kind of like James. I mean, man, you're being a little harsh, aren't you? What's the deal with this talking about arrogant schemes and evil? So let's look a little bit deeper into what does boasting even mean? If you look at the definition of boasting, this is what it says to talk with excessive pride and self-satisfaction about one's achievements, possessions, or abilities. So to speak arrogantly, to talk pridefully. A word that we may use that's not the same, but it's similar is the concept of being overconfident, right? And overconfident is this, when someone has more confidence than they should have based on the situation and they misjudge their ability or opinion. 
And sometimes, let's be honest, we can be a little overconfident with our plans. We can be a little, get, a little arrogant in what we think we're going to be able to accomplish. I know there's times where I'm like, oh, I'm gonna get this stuff done today, and it doesn't happen. There are times when we can be a little bit overconfident, not just us individually, but us as a, a people, really, really smart people can do things and put their minds together and, and really plan and prepare, and it still doesn't work out. A great example of this is uh, the Titanic. You guys know about the Titanic? It was engineered to be this ship that would never sink. In fact, some people or a person even said not even God himself could sink this ship. James would say, yeah, you're, you're kind of boasting a little bit there. You're, you're a little overconfident in your engineering plans. And I think James isn't concerned with and God's not concerned with the fact that we are making plans. I don't think that's the problem. But I think it's the way that we talk about the plans that we do make that's an issue. You see, for the early Christians, there's two really important things that I think James is hinting at that we need to know from this text. And they're things that we can uh, apply to our own life. And the first one is this. Tomorrow is unknown. Tomorrow is unknown. You see, we can talk as if tomorrow is guaranteed to us. And I think that's what James is getting at in this passage. Because James knows what Jesus said. That Jesus said, out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. And James is looking for alignment in our words and our faith. And so even though we may say, oh, well, I don't really mean that I know for sure that we're gonna be able to do that. James is like, whoa, 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 whoa. Let's not talk like, you are an eternal being who has control over the future because your tomorrow is unknown. And so he calls him on this, on talking like this, because he's saying, hey, it reveals something about what's really going on in your heart. You say you rely upon God, but you talk as if you're going to accomplish things without him. And to use James' example, this idea of generating wealth that he uses here, listen to what Moses says in Deuteronomy, Moses says this. You may say to yourself, my power and the strength of my hands have produced this wealth for me. But remember the Lord your God, for it is he who gives you the ability to produce wealth. You see, even the very skills, abilities, opportunities that we have been given are a gift from God. And we can so easily think that well, look what I've accomplished. Look what I've done. I've done this on my own. I didn't do this without anyone's help. And I think James is saying the same thing that Moses was saying to the Israelites way back when, that, whoa, 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 whoa. You need to remember who you're dependent upon. That even the breath in your lungs today are not guaranteed for tomorrow. So don't talk as though you are an eternal being in control of your own future. And he wants to get clarity on this, that you need to recognize tomorrow is unknown, that we are dependent upon God. So that's the first thing we need to know. The second thing we need to know is this, and it's not explicit in this passage, but it's implied. It's that God's plan is greater than our plans. 
God's plan, capital P plan, is greater than our lowercase p plans. Proverbs 19.21 illustrates this by saying, many are the plans in a person's heart, but it's the Lord's purpose that prevails. Translation, in our hearts, we have a lot of stuff we wanna get done, right? There's a lot of things we wanna accomplish. In fact, some of us this morning are feeling behind, feeling like, man, you know, at the age that I'm at, I thought I was gonna accomplish more than I, was, than I have. The plan for my life isn't actually quite on track as I thought it would be. That our hearts are filled with all these ideas and plans, and yet it's God's capital P plan that prevails. Our lowercase p plans may or may not have any eternal significance. But the good news is that God invites us into being a part of his plan. Invites us into aligning our lives to be a part of what he's doing in the world. That we get to be a part of something that's going to last for all of eternity. That we get to be a part of something that's going to have eternal significance. And I think what James is getting at is, hey, at the center of all of the activity that you do with your life, all of the plans that you make, they first need to be in alignment with God's plan. And some of those lowercase p plans may or may not be a part of that. But that's what we have to bring before the Lord and say, God, help us sift through all these desires of my heart, my heart, and what is it, how do they align with what you wanna do with my life and where you're leading me in my life? So two, two key things to know here. Tomorrow is unknown. And God's plan is greater than our plans. I recently heard a story about these two guys who encountered God in this amazing way at Harvard Business School. Uh, these are the guys up here. This is John and Greg. And let me tell you a little bit about John and Greg. John, uh, to start with, was a, um, well, both these guys, I'll tell you this, both of these guys in their early 20s were making more money than the majority of the world will ever make in their lifetime. John was a uh, petroleum engineer for Chevron, making around 120000 a year. And Greg worked for a private equity firm, making around 275000 a year. And both of them were very interested in amassing a lot of wealth. That was their plan. They wanted to make a lot of money, similar to maybe the guys that James is talking about here. And both of them were Christians. And I'll give you a little bit of background on John. John, when he was in high school, his whole goal, you'll love this, parents, his whole goal was, how do I make the maximum amount of money with the minimum amount of effort? So he created, he did this research, created this spreadsheet, and he was looking for what are the jobs that pay the most, that require the least amount of hours. And you know what the two jobs were? I told you one of them, petroleum engineer, which is what he decided. But the other one was dentist. So dentist and petroleum engineer. And he's like, well, I don't want to look in people's mouths all day, so I guess I'll be a petroleum engineer. And John was very interested in this concept of creating like generational wealth. He's reading books about the Kennedys and the Bushes and how do you create like this dynasty of perpetual wealth that just keeps growing and growing and growing. 
And so as a part of his plan, the next step to his plan is he, he realized that he could do his same job, petroleum engineer, minimum amount of hours, overseas, and make between 350000 to 450000 a year. But in order to get there, he had to get his MBA. So he decides to go to Harvard Business School to see this plan happen. Greg, on the other hand, was not that interested in creating this dynasty of wealth. He just wanted to make a lot of money to enjoy life. He loved fancy meals and buying really nice things. He wasn't really interested in saving money. He just wanted to live to the maximum and enjoy life. And what he noticed at the private equity firm that he worked at is the guys at the top, part of the way that they got there is they really relied upon the networks they created when they were in graduate school. And it just so happened, the majority of them went to Harvard Business School. So he's like, well, in order to keep climbing the corporate ladder, I'm gonna go to Harvard Business School. So these guys show up there, different paths, but interested in the same thing, making a lot of money. And I mentioned there are Christians and one of, the answer, or one of the questions that they were really curious about is this whole concept of tithing. They'd tithe 10% their whole life, and they kind of saw it as membership fees or like, uh, you know, you pay your 10% and then God gets off your back so you can do what else, what you want to do with the other 90%. And so they happened to talk about this, and they were interested, you know, in this concept, and they could take an elective at Harvard Divinity School and this elective came up called God and Money. And they're like, oh, that's interesting. Let's go find out what the Bible really teaches about this because we know we wanna make a lot of money, but what does God really say about this? And so they sign up for this class. And long story short, and I put in your note sheet kind of where you can find out more about this story because it's, it's really fascinating. We don't have time to talk about all of it here, but there's a podcast on there and there's a book that they have written But long story short, they went into that class trying to answer the question, how much do we really need to give God? Like, what do we really need to do to satisfy him so that he can, we can just do what we want with the rest of the money we have? And they, so they set out to do this book report together in this project. And they had this radical encounter in this whole process where that whole question got turned around. And they walked away saying, how much should we keep? Not how much do I need to give God so that I can do what I want, but how much really do I need? And this resulted in some radical changes in their lives. For John, John sensed that God was actually calling him to lay down his plan to create this dynasty of wealth and to go work for this nonprofit ministry called Generous Church to mobilize hundreds and thousands of other people to utilize their wealth for God's kingdom. He felt like God was telling him that, hey, John, you can mobilize infinitely more resources by doing this than you can by making money yourself. And this was really, really difficult for John because he had his lowercase p plans. And yet God was calling him to align his life in a trajectory that didn't really fit in his plans. And so he went through a season of kind of wrestling with God, praying about this until finally he and his wife came to the conclusion that this is what they're supposed to do. And that's what he's doing to this day. And it was a huge adjustment. I mean, they had to adjust their lifestyle. It was a sacrifice. 
On the other hand, Greg, Greg didn't sense God was actually calling him to change his career path, but rather to approach his career quite differently. Instead of just accumulating as much wealth as he could to be able to enjoy life, that he was actually calling him to utilize the opportunity they had to expand God's kingdom in other ways. And one example of that is shortly after he left, he was working for this company that he had equity in. The company got bought out by another company and his equity went through the roof and he sensed God was calling him to uh, give a large portion of that increase of assets away to all of these ministries. Now, for a guy who's used to just spending money on himself, this was a challenge. And what I love about this story is, do you see the parallel of what James is talking about? You have two guys who are very interested in then their lowercase p plans of making all of this money. And yet God takes them and he uses the passions and the gifts of who they are, which is important because I think a lot of times we think, oh, if I give my life fully to God, I'm just gonna be dropped off in some remote jungle to be a missionary for him. No, that's not the case. God utilizes the gifts and passions of how he created them And they have two very different trajectories. One of them stayed in the career path that he was on, and one of them had a totally different career path that God took him on. But in both cases, they were obedient to aligning their lowercase p plans to God's capital P plan. And so what does that mean for us this morning? What does it mean for us to take all of our plans and align them with God's plan? That may look different for different people, just like it looked different for John and Greg. But I told you the book of James is extremely practical, and I wanna give you three very practical things that I think all of us need to do as a result of what James is bringing up here. And I didn't put these in your notes because I want you to write them down because supposedly that helps you remember them better. So they'll be on the screen here in a second, or if you don't have something to write with, you can just kind of text them to yourself or email them to to yourself or take a picture of the screen. That's even easier. But here are three things I think are really important for us to do. And the first one is this, to pray before you plan. To pray before you plan. I know I'm guilty of this. So often I just rush into the things that I wanna get accomplished and after the fact, I'm like, God bless this, this, and this. And I never on the front end say, God, is this really what you want me to be doing? And John and Greg talk about this in their story that that was one of the shifts that took place is rather than rushing into all of their lowercase p plans, they began praying and saying, God, how do these passions and dreams and goals I have align with your capital P plan. So that's the first thing I think we can do is pray before you plan. The second thing is this. Talk like you're a servant of God, not a gift from God. You know what I mean? You know any people who talk like they're God's gift to the world? That's one of the things that James is getting at. He's saying, don't talk like you're this eternal being who controls your future. You need to recognize your dependence upon God. And so as believers, even though we live in a culture that actually values people speaking confidently and boastfully and pridefully, 
that we're supposed to be set apart and we're supposed to speak humbly about our lives, our plans, as though we're a servant of God, not this eternal being. And so I think we need to talk about our lives and our plans as though we're a servant of God and not a gift from God to the world. The third thing is this, and this is probably the most difficult one. To obey even when it's uncomfortable. To obey even when it's uncomfortable. Here's the problem with praying before you plan. Sometimes your plans aren't a part of God's plan. That's what John and Greg discovered as they encountered God at Harvard Business School, is that there was portions of their plans and passions and dreams that they had to lay before the Lord and submit themselves to him. And so if you are going to be so bold to pray before you plan, which I think you should, there's gonna come these moments where our plans don't line up with God's plan. And in that moment, that's where the rubber meets the road. That's where we have to obey even when it's uncomfortable. And John and Greg, if you listen to their full story, you'll hear how challenging that was for them. But you'll also hear how much peace they gained on the other side of that. That there was this peace that came from doing what God was calling them to do, even though it meant laying down some of the dreams and goals and plans and passions they had for their life. So three things, pray before you plan, talk like you're a servant from God, not a gift from God, and obey even when it's uncomfortable. If you have a phone, I want you to go ahead and pull it out. We're gonna end a little differently this morning. Go ahead and pull it out. If you don't have a phone, don't worry, I won't leave you out. We will, uh, I'll give you an opportunity to respond as well. But go ahead and pull your phone out if you have one. Many of you have smartphones. Those of you who don't, God bless you, you're actually lucky. Uh, This can be a blessing and a curse, right? But many of us have smartphones. And the smartphone is an interesting thing because it represents a lot of the plans and goals and activity of our life, right? I mean, with this phone, we calendar events, we make purchases, we accomplish our jobs, we connect with people, This phone really symbolizes a lot of the activity of our life. So let's just lay that thought there for a second, that the phone is going to represent the plans, the dreams, the goals, the activity of our life. Just hold that there for a second. The other thing is, many of you this morning come in and you're in the middle of making some plans. Maybe you have some big decisions on the horizon. Maybe it's something going on at work. Maybe it's a relationship. Maybe it's a health situation. Whatever it is, many of you come in in the middle of some plans that you're trying to sort out what to do. And one of the things that James says is that if anyone lacks wisdom, you should ask God who gives generously to all without finding fault, and it will be given to you. So this morning, I don't wanna just talk about what we've been talking about, I actually want to apply it. I think James would appreciate that. He's a very practical kind of guy. 
So we're gonna create some space and I wanna give you an opportunity to have, to respond and actually bring those plans that maybe you've got going on before the Lord. That we can actually do the very first thing I said we need to do and that's pray before we plan. Or for some of you, maybe it's pray in the midst of this plan. And the whole purpose of that is, is simply to say, God, what would you have me do? I need your wisdom. I recognize I'm dependent upon you and I wanna align my plans with your plan. And so this is what we're gonna do here in a moment. I'm gonna actually ask you to, and this may be scary for some of you, to turn your phone off, symbolic of ceasing rushing into all the activity that we rush into, right? And saying, God, I wanna hear from you first before I act. And then I'm gonna give you the opportunity to just stand up and hold your phone out like this, open-handed before the Lord as a representation of holding our lives, our plans before the Lord and saying, God, I want you to be the starting point of all the activity of my life. I want you to speak wisdom into the plans that I'm in the middle of making. Now, for some of you, you're going, I don't know if I wanna put my phone through that. That seems like an awful lot. But listen, with our phones, we do a lot of things with our phones, right? I mean, we're always using them. We're, we're taking videos, we're snapping selfies. We hold it up at concerts. We do a lot of things with our phones. I wonder if this morning, it might be a powerful reminder for us to pray before we plan by simply turning our phone off and consecrating our phone, that sounds really weird, to the Lord. <laughs> And consecrating is really not a word that we use a whole lot. They use it a lot in the Old Testament, but it's this idea of setting apart to say, God, I don't wanna just rush into the activity of life. I want you to be the one that I hear from first. And if you don't have a phone, you can simply just stand and hold your hands out. Nothing magical about having the phone, but I think it's a, maybe a powerful metaphor that will remind us to pray before we plan, to allow God to be the one who informs the activity of our lives. And so I wanna go ahead and invite the band up. And you don't have to do this. If you feel uncomfortable with this, don't worry. I mean, there's no judgment. No one's watching you. But there is something powerful about responding to God and just creating some space to allow him to speak to us. So as the band plays, I'm gonna pray here in a second. And then just as you feel led, just turn your phone off and stand up and hold it out like this before the Lord. You can listen to the music in quiet reflection. You can pray to God in that moment. You can sing, whatever that is. But let's just take a moment where we can actually apply what I think James is telling us, which is to pray before we plan, to ask God to give us wisdom in our lowercase p plans in order to align them with his capital P plan.